Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we are joined again by AAF's president, Douglas Holtzakin, for our weekly discussion on the economic impact and policy responses related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Doug, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Kyle. How have you been holding up this week? Uh, I think I'm doing all right. Um, I, I suppose you could ask my family for a second opinion, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, um, luckily, my roommates are, have all left at this point, so they're getting a brief break from me as well. So <laughs> good for the health of everybody. Yes. Um, so let's start talking um, about you know our discussion for this week. Uh, last week, we discussed the House Democrats Heroes Act, a $3 trillion or so list of additional spending and new spending programs related to the COVID-19 pandemic. How has the federal responses conversation shifted over the past week? What is the current focus of the phase four package? Well, I think there are really uh, four things in play. Um, and, and, you know, it's healthy for it to get stripped down to core elements Heroes felt to me like just a wish list of, of things that many of which had nothing to do with uh, response to the, the COVID pandi- pandemic. Um, you know, when when cannabis appears more times in the legislation than unemployment, um, something's probably not on focus. Uh, and and that, that's a problem with that, that bill. Um, so uh, right now we have uh, some big issues um, in getting people back to work. Uh, on the employee side, there's the ongoing debate over the $600 federal bonus to state unemployment insurance. We've talked about this in the past. Um, Isabel Soto, AAF's labor uh, analyst, uh, estimates that 63% of workers nationwide would make more at the maximum UI benefit than, than going back to their job. And that, that can be as high as 75% in some states. So uh, that's a huge impediment to uh, labor market success. It's exactly the right policy if you want people to stay home and not try to go earn a living it's exactly the wrong policy if, if you reverse that. You want them to go back and, and restart the economy. And, and we're seeing g- greater and greater efforts to have more economic activity across the, the, the country. So uh, how, do, how do you uh, fix that is, is number one on the list. And we can come back and talk about details on that. Number two is on the employer side, where many employers are worried that they will be blamed for every infection that occurs. Uh, and they want some shield from the liability of lawsuits against them. Uh, for uh, uh, future COVID infections. Uh, th- these are both part of the reality that no governor reopens the economy, people do, and business owners have to be willing to open their businesses and workers have to be willing to show up and, and customers have to, to want to show up as well. And so all of that interrelated confidence in the capacity to work, produce, sell uh, is, is a key part of this. Uh, the, the third uh, big item is the state and local governments. Um, and, and I think it's unquestionably the case that many states and localities have faced a really big bill from the costs of the pandemic, the need for first responders to work more and the health costs and the PPE costs. And there's an enormous bill that's out there. It was in the nation's interest that they do this. And so it strikes me as entirely appropriate that the federal taxpayer will pick up that tab in whole or in part um, going forward. Not a lot of dispute there. Uh, I think there's also not a lot of dispute that there are many states and localities that came into the pandemic in bad financial shape because of poor planning and poor decisions of their own. Uh, the poster child for this is pensions in Illinois. And 
nobody thinks it's appropriate to take the funds that are supposed to fight the downdraft uh, from the pandemic to solve that problem. And so it shouldn't cover that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the hard one. The hard one is the fact that when the virus hit, uh, the customers disappeared, and we have saw the fallout in the business community. And the response for big businesses has been, okay, we will give you a loan to cover that revenue shortfall, and you will then be able to make it through the, the couple of months. And, and when you restart, you can pay that loan back. Mm-hmm. But when the customers disappeared, so did the sales taxes. And when the layoffs happened, the payroll taxes and income taxes went away too. Do we want to say to the state and localities, you're just like a big business. So we'll give you a loan and that'll take care of this sort of cash crunch that you face. And then when things are back to normal, you can repay that loan. Um, That would mean that you let them operate through the Federal Reserve where they have a dedicated lending facility for states and municipalities. Or do we say to them, no, no, you're more like a a small business. And so we're going to do what we did with the Paycheck Protection Program. We're essentially going to give you a grant. That would mean the next legislation contains a big check and we give it to the, the states and localities. I think there's just a disagreement across the board in sort of how people think about that issue, and that's slowing things down. Um, It it is related to number four on my list, which is what is the future of the dedicated Federal Reserve lending facilities? You know, I I have been on record as disappointed that Congress gave the Treasury a half a trillion dollars, and it was supposed to backstop lending by the Fed, which would lose money, a half a trillion dollars, but would get cash out to all sorts of businesses. None of that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen any lending to the states and municipalities. We haven't seen any lending to the businesses. And that, I think that's been a, a, a dramatic, unforced error by the Treasury. But it won't last forever. And if you think of that half a trillion dollars being levered five or six times, that's two and a half to three trillion dollars of additional funds into the economy uh, that, that's just waiting to happen. Well, if that goes forward quickly... That changes dramatically how you think about the next piece of legislation. If it continues to be a problem, that that also changes how you think about it. So that's my list of four things that I think are the focus of this. Yeah, so let's unpack a few of those. I should mention that I think your first one was uh, the unemployment insurance stuff. Um, We're actually going to record a podcast episode with Isabel Soto later on today to release next week so that she can go through some of her research on this for, for our listeners. But I wanted to focus in on your conversation about the federal governments helping out the states and local governments. Yeah. So um, a number of people are pushing for the federal government to send aid to the state and local governments, as you mentioned. Um, are there any existing policies that already do this? Well, as I as I mentioned, um, we have these Federal Reserve, they have a dedicated Federal Reserve lending facility mm-hmm. where states and localities can go there, give them their bonds and get that cash and they can pay their bills with it. So that's there. Um, in the uh, in the CARES Act, there was $150 billion for states um, and localities, and so there, there's been money already. I, I think no one believes $150 billion matches their revenue shortfall plus additional spending, so it's not like they're done. But the, the outstanding question is how much can be filled with this, this lending from the Fed, and um, I don't know the answer to that. So far, it's not been successful at all. Um, that may be because the terms are simply too tight and, you know, they're charging too much for these loans and and everyone's saying no thanks as a result. As I said, that would be a big policy error. The, the whole point is to get the money out. So um, I've, I've been concerned about this for a while. So should this be a priority for the next phase? Is this something that needs to be thought through a little bit more? 
I, I think there needs to be uh, the next piece of legislation somewhere in June. State fiscal years begin July 1, so the, the, the clock's ticking on that. Um, the PPP is, is going to run out um, in June, and so there's there's time pressure on that. So they don't have the luxury of doing doing nothing over the next six weeks. They're going to have to do something, in my view. The question is, which areas and, and how big? Mm-hmm. And um, th- this isn't like CARES, where I thought there was a premium on speed and um, you tolerated design flaws and execution errors just to get money out. Like I, I really thought the imperative was get money out indiscriminately, like literally indiscriminately. Do not discriminate. Give it to you know even me, whatever. Um, that, that's not how the, it should work going forward. Going forward, we need uh, a policy design that is more targeted on, on problems and gives good incentives for the future. I see. There was some big news that kind of stunned me earlier this week. Um, and that was the money that the CARES Act gave to Treasury has not really been used at this point. What's yeah. going on with that? This this is the, um, the the sort of one of the interesting developments in all of this. So uh, for those who are not connoisseurs of what the Federal Reserve does, the Federal Reserve does monetary policy. And, and they did that. Um, if you think back to when the, the virus first hit, they had an emergency meeting and it cut rates to zero. And so that's that's sort of the standard execution of monetary policy. They have responsibility for financial stability. And so we, when we saw equity markets crater by 13% in a day, the Fed stepped up and uh, in mid-March made this commitment to provide liquidity uh, as much as necessary for as long as necessary, an enormous open-ended commitment to just say, okay, you come to me with uh, a mortgage-backed security or a treasury, I will buy it, you get cash, and they just printed a lot of cash up. Uh, those, those are things that the Federal Reserve does on their own as part of their charter. And uh, they've been doing that since mid-March, actually, quite uh, effectively. The CARES Act comes along and it says to the Treasury, OK, we want to give you half a trillion dollars and we want you to use it for loans to America's larger businesses, over 500 employees and states and localities. And one could imagine that the Federal Reserve just essentially opened up the figurative window uh, out there on, uh, you know, uh, 14th Street and said, hey, come on by, we'll give you a loan, uh, you know, and just start handing out the loans. And um, but but they didn't because no one thinks the Treasury could in real time stand up a lending capacity and do that. So instead, they, they really just use the Federal Reserve as their agent um, in the Federal Reserve Charter. There's a special 13, uh, section 13, and in subsection three, they are given the authority to be an emergency lender to non-financial businesses. Like they're always the lender of last resort to banks, right. but but they can they can lend to non-banks if the treasury asks them to. So mm-hmm. what the CARES Act did was it handed uh, the treasury a pile of money, and then the treasury just said, Fed, would you please uh, start lending to large businesses? Would you please start lending to states and localities? Oh, and by the way, that same charter says you're not allowed to lose money on the lending, right? That's that's the Fed's charter. So we have a pile of cash. If it looks like you're going to lose money, we will give you the money, and you'll be you'll be able to execute. This is entirely new, and this is the Fed being neither a monetary policy nor a, a financial policy. They're basically doing the Treasury's job for them. It's part of fiscal policy, and they're not doing it very well. And yeah. I, no one knows if the problem is the Treasury. Or the Fed, or you know, right? It's just too new, but but the money's not going out. 
Right. Yeah. Cause I watched you on meet the press. I think it was Tuesday um, and heard you argue that, you know, they're being way too conservative with this money. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, here's an example. Um, you of course uh, are uh, a large business and you've got over 500 employees. I know they're hidden somewhere. If you go to the, to the fed, to their main street lending program, one of the first things they're going to do is charge the bank who originates the loan, a 1% origination fee. So you're going to go borrow. I know probably a hundred million uh, dollars. So you, there's a million dollar origination fee. The lender is allowed to make you pay it. Mm-hmm. Now we have companies who ostensibly are going to this uh, lending facility because they're strapped for cash. And the first thing we're going to do is ask them for a million bucks. That's crazy. Yeah. Right? Things like that, you know, make, make it easier. Granted you will lose money on the loan, but that was the point. Get it out use the treasury money to pay that million and be done. Mm-hmm. Now, what about this argument? And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. You know, speed was obviously of the essence in getting this money out initially. I mean, we were in a crisis. And as yes. you I think, said many times, like we were paying people literally to stay home, essentially. But we're already a couple of months into this crisis now. Is it too late to spend that freely? Is it even wise or sustainable? Um, I, I, I think you're right. I don't know if today's the, the line of demarcation or tomorrow or, or the first of June, but with every day that we pass, the policy has to shift from get cash out the door indiscriminately to what are the targeted supports for an economy that needs to grow in the face of a virus? Mm-hmm. And and, and that, that does change the way I think about these Fed facilities. So, you know, in the middle of the crisis, if someone walked in the door, I'd say, give them the money. Don't ask if they have good credit. Don't ask them if they have collateral. Just go. Now, I think, you know, you, you want to look at, uh, at someone who wants to borrow and say, OK, do you, have, do you have the collateral and the credit that suggests you're going to be a successful ongoing business? If so, yes, here you go. If not, well, there are going to be some businesses that, that don't make it through this. That's true of every recession. Uh, this economy will restructure going forward. We know it won't look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to pour the money into the things that, that are, are, have been overcome by events. It's not a good idea. Yeah. OK, so. As we've discussed, you know, a big part of, quote unquote, opening the economy is uh, getting people to participate in the economy um, as both workers and consumers. Is this something Congress or state governments even can encourage or is this something the market has to figure out for itself? Yeah, it's going to be some of both. I mean, I think it's useful to always remind ourselves that that at the root of this is a public health crisis. It's it's a virus and and the, the COVID pandemic ensues. And everything that can be done to push on the three levers in the public health crisis, the, the testing and the, the therapeutics and the vaccines is well worth it. And, um, you know, if you take those on, people can be confident to go out and, and conduct their economic and other lives uh, much more freely. Uh, so that they, they certainly have that role. There's no question. Uh, but there's some things that, you know, employers will have to, to do to make their employees feel comfortable coming back to work. Like, you know, what, what, what is it that employees care about? Um, that, that the, that's the market trying to figure out what's the nature of the employment contract. I'd, I'd like you to come do this. Do you feel what's important to you? Is it, is it hand sanitizers? Is it masks? Do you like temperature checks? How, how do you feel about social distancing? Like, you know, there are things that people can do to arrange their, their lives and we'll have to figure out the best way to do that. And, um, it may be the case that the government wants to support some of that. Like if you have to redo a meatpacking facility so that people can be appropriately spaced, that's going to be expensive. And if that's important for us to have that um, that supply uh, in, in the crisis, then the government may want to subsidize that to some extent. I don't I don't think that's a mistake at all. Mm. Yeah, another big one for especially urban areas 
is uh, public transportation. That seems to be a big one that I hear a lot of people talking about. You know, they'll have to, if, if it were a private enterprise, they'd be thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? We'll run five times as many trains and, 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 and see people farther apart and get everyone in anyway. There has to be a way to do this. I mean, yeah. I had a, a very interesting discussion uh, about church services um, and, and, you know, how can you provide Sunday church services in this environment? And the answer is do more services with fewer people. So you repeat the same thing and make sure that the choir is in a separate location so that when they sing, they're not running risks of infecting. And, you know, the, the private market can figure out a lot of things, whether yeah. it's not for profits or for profits. It makes sense to me. In considering the goals for economic recovery, and you talked about this a little earlier in the podcast, what should they look like? In other words, should policy be seeking to regain what we had back in January and February, or should we be completely uh, rethinking and move forward? Well, I think you should always be forward-looking, and, and that means um, understand that we cannot recreate the economy of January 2020 and, and and that we wouldn't want to. That was an economy that was not resistant to the threat of the coronavirus. And the future economy needs to be resistant to the threat of the coronavirus. So don't have that one, have a new one. How do you do that? Well, I, I think by and large, the government doesn't pick that. It, it does its part in the public health and then it lets the private sector do what it usually does. In recessions, you know, Firms go bankrupt. People often think of that as a negative thing. But, but the truth is bankruptcy protection means that you are protected from your creditors and permitted to reorganize, use the capital you have, the equipment you have, the, the skills you have, the workers you have in a different way to make something that is valued by society more than what you used to do. And, and so there's a lot of, uh, of standard restructuring that happens in, in these um, recessions. This is a, a weird and dramatic recession. It's going to be short deep, and steep, but, but some of the same things will go on. Mm -hmm. So should this affect how policymakers think about their job and what they have to do? I, I certainly believe that, you know, the next round of legislation needs to look completely different than the last one. I mean, the, the, the last strategy was let us toss money at the economy and hide from the virus. All right. So we've, we've hidden for two and a half months. Now what? Well, we can't hide anymore. Need a different strategy. And, and that seems to me has to be more discriminant, targeted, worry about incentives, labor market and otherwise, and, and try to get some growth back. Mm -hmm. And, and the, um, in terms of the growth, as, as you know, there's this, this sort of alphabet soup of letters associated with recoveries, V-shaped recoveries, W's, L's, you know, I, I, I'm not sure they mean anything because when I looked at what the Congressional Budget Office put out this week in terms of their projections for the economy, it shows the second quarter uh, a decline of 11%, which at an annual rate is 37%. Uh, and then in the, the third quarter, the annual rate is growth of 21%. So if you want to find a V, that's a V, right? Down 37, up 21. And you hear people talking about how it's a V, it's going to be a V-shaped recovery. But in those same projections, if you go to the end of 2021, so well more than uh, a year out, uh, GDP is still not back to the level it was in January of 2020. So we haven't recovered where we were in, in terms of the level of prosperity. And the unemployment rate is still projected to be 8.6%. So is that a, a V-shaped recovery? That feels like a, a slow, not particularly satisfying recovery. And they're in the same, they're in the same projection. So I, I think policy should, should take care of the, the end of 2021. I, I would be focusing on that and saying, 
what what can we put in place that's durable and can address that persistent unemployment? That's the number one uh, objective. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've you know had that same question in different forms throughout this entire thing, but I think it yeah. you know bears repeating as we have these discussions moving it forward. It must be obvious to listeners by now. I have nothing new to say, but we will say it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do have one final question for you. As we were discussing, you know, what the economy looks like after this pandemic, um, I saw that Jacqueline Varis had an interesting paper out about our relationship with China. Should we start rethinking our economic ties with China? Uh, well, we should have started rethinking them and did prior to the pandemic. We've, we've done an enormous amount uh, to, to rethink, um, for example, inbound investment from China. There's there's a committee on foreign investment in the United States which screens such investments for national security threats. Um, the, the new element of the pandemic is we're now thinking about it from health security and, and health emergency effects. Her paper is about the degree to which we are over-reliant on China for our pharmaceuticals uh, and that supply chain. Um, in contrast to the rhetoric that you hear, uh, the answer seems to be no. Uh, you know, the vast amount of vaccines, for example, are made in the United States and, and, and very little of, of what we consume comes from China. They do seem to have some key components where they're, they're, they're important suppliers. To me, that, that, that says two things. Number one, you don't say no China. You say, well, we need to have some others. Like, you know, diversification's the, the number one lesson to avoid risk. So have some other supplies, including domestic production. And if there's something which is genuinely necessary, a thing you absolutely have to have, and you want to be secure, you should have the capacity to deal with the emergency level of production domestically. And anything above me on that, you know, let, let people sort out. That's what we've done with um, essentially the, the, the defense industrial base. We, we make sure that we have the capacity to build Navy ships, even if commercial shipbuilding isn't particularly profitable. We, we hold on to them, the minimum necessary to meet those, those kinds of needs. Got it. Thank you for joining us. But before I let you go, any good plans to keep yourself busy for this weekend? Well, th this is the the big um, uh, holiday weekend. And, and to be honest, I had thought to myself, I should send out an email on Friday saying we're closing early for the holiday. But I don't know what that means in these circumstances. So there will be, there will be no such email. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope everyone does have a great Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we, we plan to have one as well. Good. Awesome. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.